My name is Chal Knox, uh, short for Charles. I'm the executive director at Lemonade International, and it is a joy to be with you. How many of you thought maybe six months ago we just may not make it to 2021? I don't know about you guys, but uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a tough year. Um, it's, it's a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. My wife Holly and I attended here uh, for several years before God called us to plant and to lead a Spanish-speaking church uh, just north by 10 minutes in, in Cardinal Valley in Lexington. Uh, we did that about for 12 years, and then uh, after seeing God do some really incredible things, uh, I began to get more involved in immigration and in the international level and just found that working locally to try to resolve immigration wasn't enough. And so God opened the door for me to serve internationally to make a difference at the root level of immigration, uh, working in the country of Guatemala. Uh, so I was invited to lead at Lemonade International, and I've had the privilege here for leading for a couple years. It's a, a nonprofit organization, uh, as you saw in the video, that uh, works in the largest urban slum in Central America. About 100,000 people, about 40,000, 50,000 kids, um, about 10 or 11 different gangs, all operating in, in the heart of Guatemala City, Guatemala. Uh, Lemonade, the name Lemonade International, comes from the community of La Limonada, which means lemonade. Um, and it's a, it's a place of, of both deep affliction and very severe poverty, as well as uh, really incredible beauty. And um, I'm going to kind of share a little bit about Lemonade International as, uh, as we journey through God's Word together. But as you can see, there's a, a picture here of Tita and me. Tita Everett is, uh, is the founder and the director of Vitas Planus. Vitas Planus is a ministry that we partner with in Guatemala. And so we, we are not about going and trying to figure it out ourselves as, as Americans. We, we, we exist to empower and to support uh, all the wonderful ministry that happens in, uh, in La Limonada and encourage Tita and her team of Vitas Planus. And then you also saw from, uh, from Lemonade's founder, Bill Cummings. Uh, got three kids. Uh, my son is 17, daughter is 15, and then my youngest daughter is 11. And uh, my son has a, has a manager um, in his job that uh, is kind of a guy that gets a little angry. Uh, sometimes he's expressive, a little bit aggressive. Sometimes he yells. And uh, my son and I were talking after work one day about kind of what, what to do about that. How does it make him feel? Why does it make him uncomfortable? Um, as we talked about how that makes him feel and what God's teaching him through that, we kind of came to the concept of fear and, and what fear does to us and, and how, it, how, it, you know, how, it, how it affects us. And then we got to the question of who should we really fear? Uh, as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, who, who should we really fear? Um, and let's be honest, this past year, there's been a lot of yelling in the world. There's been a lot of anger in the world. And there's been a lot of fear in the world. And I'd like to address a little bit of that today. We've all gone through a lot of challenges this year. And, you know, I, I think, at least for me, my prayer life has really changed over the last uh, eight or nine months. I don't know about you guys, but, um, I don't, you know, as we think back of the, the prayers that we were praying in February and March uh, of 2020, uh, compared to how we're praying now, you know, some of the prayers back then were, God, heal the sick people in China, and, and then God, give strength to the medical professionals that are working in Italy and all over Europe, and then it was, God, please, please keep this out of the U.S., um, occasionally we would pray a little more selfishly, God, please, please make sure that there's toilet paper on the shelves of the grocery store when I get there this afternoon. Um, but if we're honest, and if we're paying attention to the world around us, we're not praying for toilet paper anymore. Our prayers have gotten deeper. Our prayers have gotten more desperate. Our prayers have gotten more honest and, and more raw. And we went from sort of this hashtag in this together uh, to cries for racial justice to, Lord, when will this election be over? And then during all these months, this, this virus has just marched unstopped 
across the globe, affecting every way of life in, in every country, and especially countries like Guatemala. It's just been devastating to, to developing countries. Our prayers have not been answered the way that we hoped. Uh, God has not shown up in the ways we've asked him. And, and what do we do when that happens? Where do we go whenever it feels like God's not paying attention? How, how do we act as, as believers when, when it seems like a loving God is not intervening on our behalf? And, and how can we trust him if we can't count on him to help us when we need him most? There's a song that Bette Midler sang years ago. Um, was she right when she sang, God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. Is, is that true? Maybe it's a good song. Maybe, maybe not such great theology. As, as we sang this morning, um, we believe as followers of Christ, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And we have to believe that. We're not going to be able to get through this next year if, if we don't cling to Christ, if we don't believe that he is truly making a way, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace they, they whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Do we truly believe that? Do we, do we, do we find, as we're following Jesus, that we're in perfect peace because our minds are steadfast in him. How are our minds steadfast? What does this mean? Well, it means that, it, that mature faith trusts in God, even when we don't see him at work. We believe that what the Bible says about him is true, that, that, that he is true, that he is good, that he is perfect, that he cares for us. Even when things happen that we don't understand, even when it hurts, we believe that God knows what he's doing and that he can even use bad things for our benefit. Part of the challenges of, of a place like La Limonada, the families that live there, they live in conditions that are, they're frankly, beyond poverty. It's what we call abject poverty. It's, it's not just that they don't have enough income or they don't have enough to eat. It, it's the, the despair that they feel. Many people that live on simple lives on, on farms that have limited income, I mean, that's, that's, that's poverty. I, I actually grew up on a farm. I, I grew up in western Pennsylvania. I was the sixth generation uh, to live on the farm. My house, the farmhouse we lived in was built in 1901. I didn't have any cable. Uh, I remember as a kid having, having socks with, with holes in them and then just kind of curling the ends of my socks over and, and because we didn't have enough money to, to buy new socks that year. Um, we, there are a lot of people that live with, with limited incomes and in difficult situations, but in Alimanada, they the families there are in a whole different kind of poverty. Um, there, there's, there's bitterness. Gangs have grown up, and people are both hungry every day and afraid for their lives. There's no safety. When, when Tita started working there, the abject poverty was entrenched generationally. The violence this week would, would end in a shootout next week, and then that would end in killing a family member, so then it would start all over again, which sparks another shootout the next week, and more revenge. And violence begets violence, and revenge fuels the fire. And so it's this bitterness and revenge and, and violence and abuse that's, that's become a generational pattern. Tita tried to, to combat some of these things. She tried to start a, a Bible study, a prayer group, and, and realized it wasn't enough. That she'd save one person, but the other 10 or 11 in their community would, would pull them right back in. And so she realized she had to, to get back to prevention. She had to start with, with little kids that were two, three, four years old, as, as she would say in her words, before they've woken up to the reality of hopelessness and despair. Um, she's done this now for, for 20, 25 years, and, and now there's five academies. She started a, a safe home, an academy, and now we're reaching out to hundreds of kids, thousands of families every single day, even even with the impact of, of coronavirus in Guatemala, we're still staying in touch with the kids 
through phone and uh, encouraging them and praying with them. They're even doing, uh, Christian psychologists are doing counseling sessions over the phone with kids and parents. But, you know, what, what do we do when, when we can't see God at work the way that we expect him to work? Philip Yancey says in his book, Reaching Out, Reaching for the Invisible God, a faithful person sees life from the perspective of trust, not fear. We're talking about, about Christians here. A faithful person sees life from the perspective of trust, not fear. Bedrock faith allows me to believe that despite the chaos of the present moment, God does reign. That regardless of how worthless I may feel, I truly matter to a God of love and that no pain lasts forever and no evil triumphs in the end. I just want to read that last part one more time. I'll make sure that we get that. That regardless of how worthless I may feel, I truly matter to a God of love. That no pain lasts forever and no evil triumphs in the end. Do, you, do we believe that this morning? Do we sincerely believe that? And on, online, I hope that, that you believe that as well. Faith sees even the darkest deed of all history, the death of God's Son, as a necessary prelude to the brightest. So we're aware that we live in a dark world, a world where bad decisions and shame and loneliness seem to reign, a world where the only solution that seems to be available is, is either keeping to the rules of legalism or yelling louder than the person that we disagree with, a world where, for some crazy reason, we air all of our dirty laundry on social media, but we can't be honest with the person that we share a room with. As my kids would say, that, that seems a little sus. There's something, something wrong with that. We live in a world that's suffering and broken, but because of God's love, we can offer a hand to the world. We can, we can reach out to connect with people, and, and we, can, we can love the people that are around us. It might look different than it did a year ago, but, but we can reach out a hand to the world. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 says, and Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. We know that we can come to Jesus in, in our darkest moments, in our, and when we're exhausted and online school just never seems to end and the kids are just driving us crazy and we can't connect with people around us, we know that we can reach out to Jesus because we're weary and burdened. We can come to him. And, and he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a joy to, to be able to reach out to others and offer this rest and peace and strength to those who've been weary like us. God has made us ambassadors of hope. He's made us ministers of reconciliation. He's made us messengers of, of, of a new and restored relationship with God through Christ. What a privilege to share this message with others and with a broken world. But then there's this, and if we could go back to that verse, there's this little thing at the end that, that doesn't quite make sense to me sometimes. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And for those of us that are reaching out to people around us, do we really feel that? Like, let's be honest. How often does God's yoke feel easy and his burden feel light? Like when, when was the last time that we were serving people that are really broken and we've said, hey, this is, this is actually pretty easy and light. Like it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't feel natural to us. But as we look at this verse, we see that, that Jesus says he is doing the work. It's really about him, not about us. Come to me, he says. I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. My yoke is easy. And, and so sometimes I think we, we get caught up in, in trying to serve the world without actually following Jesus as, as we're doing it. None, none of this is actually about our doing. It's, it's really ultimately about him. And so as we, as we give a hand to the world, we, we find that we get worn out and we start doing it on our own and we forget that it's actually all about him. Jesus tried to explain this concept to his disciples. Um, they were traveling once and they went to a village where they met these two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha opened up her home and 
her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said. But Martha, Martha got busy with, she was distracted by all the preparations, making food in the kitchen, trying to prepare for Jesus. And then she kind of got frustrated and said to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to, to get up and, and come and help me. And Jesus says this in, in Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried. You're worried and upset about many things, but, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary chose what was better. It's not, not necessarily bad versus good, but really about good versus best. Mary chose what was best. And Martha was, was preoccupied and distracted. Jesus in, in, in John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So an important concept to learn from this is that being precedes action. That abiding precedes bearing fruit. So apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything. Even if it looks good, it's ultimately not going to make any difference if we're not doing it based out of our obedience with, with God. Being precedes action. Abiding precedes bearing fruit. One of my trips to Guatemala, uh, we're not, sadly, we're not able to travel uh, lately, but uh, a while back I got to, got to travel to Guatemala and I got to visit Lydia and her family, Lydia and her two sons, Jaime and David. Before my visit, there was a lot of violence in the home. Uh, basically, Lydia's husband was, was very abusive. Um, she was not able to confront him because she was afraid. But one day, Jaime, the nine-year-old, stood up to his dad and, and got the courage to, to basically confront him. Uh, after seeing this, Lydia gained some more confidence to confront her husband, and uh, it, it was pretty serious. She had to tell him to leave, even got the police involved with an emergency protective order so that she could protect herself and the kids. Um, but he ended up leaving, and they began to connect with the academy and began to follow Jesus. And she works for a bakery now. She works many, many hours to try to pay bills, but she has a, a friend that she had, she had been paying to take her kids to the academy, take her two boys to the academy. And as soon as the academies reopen again, hopefully soon, her two boys will be right back in the academy where they started. Uh, Jaime wants to, when he grows up, he wants to study psychology because he said he'd been meeting with the psychologist at the academy and he'd been receiving healing from the abuse that he suffered and he wants to help other kids in the same way. His younger brother, David, wants to become a veterinarian. He's a sweet young guy. Um, he's gentle with everyone, in, including animals. So we know that standing with these two boys and their mom, it's, they're not on their own, but there's a team of people behind them Tita and the team of Vitas Planus, the, the teachers, the nurses, the family and child psychologists, the chaplain, uh, even Jaime and David's sponsors that, that live in the U.S. that are praying for them and encouraging them and sending them letters, that they're, they're not alone, that we're doing this through, through God's help. And, and the way that God is using Lemonade sponsors and, and Vitas Planus team um, is making a difference in these kids' lives. But the way that God is doing this and, and the power that he's doing it through us isn't new. In fact, Jesus explained it in Luke 8. He was, there was a time he was speaking and there was a crowd around him. People were pressing up against him. So many people that almost crushed him. And a woman there that had been sick for a long time came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately she was healed. And in Luke 8, verses 45 and 46, Jesus asked, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around you and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know it. I know that the power has gone out from me. Jesus felt God's power go out from him. When was the last time you felt God's power go out from you? 
When was the last time that your relationship with God was strong enough and your, your sensitivity and attention to the, to the needs of the world around you was, was in tune enough that you felt God's power go out from you as you serve someone? So it's important to offer a hand to the world, but it's also important to, to, to be connected with God and have a hand to Him. Some, some people get this more easily than others. They, they understand the importance of, of taking God's hand, of receiving His blessings and, and grace and abundant life. And they have a hand to God. John 10.10 John 10 says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And even the, the, the title, Vitas Planus, of Tita's organization, it means full lives, fulfilled lives, meaningful lives. Some people get this. They, they understand the verse like Psalm 46.10 that says, Be still and know that I am God. And they understand the being. They understand the listening. They understand the waiting on Him. Uh, but, but let's be honest too. If we only live in this side of life, with just a hand of God, and we're not serving in the world, um, we, can, we can start to become a little bit self-centered. We start to enjoy our quiet times maybe more than serving, and we, we start to, to pray, but our, our prayers become focused on our needs, and, and we end up having a long list of prayer requests, but it's all about me and the difficulties that I'm struggling with. We ask God to take care of the world's problems, but we're completely ignorant that He wants to use us to take a risk. He wants us to be a part of the solution. Psalm 46.10 does say, be still and know that I am God. But do you know that that's only the first part of the verse? That's only the first half. The second half says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Why, why Why do we miss that second part? It's not just about being still and knowing he's God. It's also bringing him glory by sharing his message of love with the world. So we see that being precedes action, but we also see that being results in action and abiding results in bearing fruit. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we read this earlier. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and I in you, so as we're close to him, then we can actually bear much fruit. We can share something that really matters with the world. It's not, it's not just based on us or what we want to do or change or fix in someone else's life, but it's ultimately about what God wants them to hear. Being results in action and abiding results in bearing fruit. James said it well in, in his book, faith without works, what, what, do you know, what do we know? Faith without works is what? It's dead. Faith without works is dead. So what does mature faith look like? How, how, do we, how do we live this out? Gregory of Nyssa once called St. Basil's faith ambidextrous because he welcomed pleasures with the right hand and afflictions with the left. He understood that, that both would serve God's design for him, offering a hand to God and strengthening that, that muscle and offering a hand to the world and strengthening that muscle, understanding God's blessing and God's favor and God's love. And, and enjoying that and delighting ourselves in the Lord, but also understanding we live in a broken, a dark, and a hurting world. And these afflictions, God, God can use both his blessings as well as the afflictions around us uh, as part of his design for us. It's working out both muscles spiritually, one hand to God, one hand to others. It's in our prayer life asking, how is God working in the community around me? What do I see him doing? And also, how is God working in me? What is God teaching me that I can share? And what is God teaching me through others that need to help me in my relationship with him? It's, it's understanding that God cares that much about us, that he wants to share his love with us to a broken world. Did, did he really send his son Jesus 
to show his love for us and everyone? Absolutely he did. We just, a couple weeks ago, we, we celebrated and sang songs about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with, with skin on, God with us. Was, was Jesus truly the hope of all the prophets and the patriarchs of the Old Testament to us today? Absolutely he was, and he is. We know that we can trust him. We know that he loves the world. We know that he wants his life of, of hope and, and love to, to be manifested in us and through us to bear good fruit. But we have to make a decision. We have to decide if we want to do this, if we want to embrace this ambidextrous, faithful lifestyle. C.S. Lewis, um, in one of his books, he, he talked about extracting a thorn from a child's finger. And he talked about sometimes the, the things that seem like they cause pain and hurt are actually better for us. They don't bring us harm. It's just painful in a moment. Another example would be a, a boy swimming, um, learning how to swim or rescuing someone who can't swim. Or, or maybe the example of a, a, a beginner hiker that's trying to get over a difficult part of, of a mountain climb. Uh, the one fatal obstacle may actually not be their ability, but their distrust. We're asking them to trust in the sound of our voice, to use their imagination and their intelligence. We're asking them to, to believe that what is painful will actually relieve their pain, and what looks dangerous actually will bring safety later on. We're asking them to accept apparent impossibilities. That, and I, I don't know if you've ever removed a, a, a thorn or a, a splinter from a child's finger. I've, I've done this from my kids' fingers and toes, and it, it's, it's painful. It's painful for them. It's painful for a parent trying to, to, to get them to sit still, to get that little splinter out, because they think that the, the pain is, is unbearable. What they don't realize is if they can get through that, it's going to ultimately relieve the pain. That the hurting the finger actually will stop the finger from hurting longer. That, that water, when we're teaching someone to swim, water is obviously permeable. They can sink right to the bottom, but, but somehow it has the ability to resist and support the body. That holding on to a, a, a support within reach for a hiker or a climber, going on to a, a higher and more exposed ledge is actually the way not to fall. We have to, we have to realize that we need to take risks and trust God if we're going to live this way. Sometimes saying yes to a risk that God wants us to take is, is hard, but we have to trust him. Sometimes when, when someone asks us in the world to, for, for a need and, and we have to say no to them, sometimes it makes us feel guilty. But if God is calling us to draw near to him so that we can receive what they need and so that someone else can, can help to meet this need, then that's actually the better way. If we're only giving out of ourselves, we're, we don't have much to offer. So we have to trust him. And then as we come out of our time with him, with his power, then as we reach out to those who are in need, we, we can allow ourselves to be in a position of, of risk or it feels uncomfortable so that someone can actually know Jesus' love and, and actually do what God was trying to tell, to tell us to do the whole time. What would our world look like if Christians lived this way, if Christians lived with this ambidextrous faith? What would, what would La Limonada look like if, if Christians lived this way, if we, if we had a, a strong hand of, to God's mercy as well as a strong hand to the world's afflictions? What would, what would Woodford County look like if we live this way. I want to share a little story with you. A couple weeks ago in, in Guatemala, we had a, just this really neat thing that happened. That a lot of Guatemalan churches got together and they started this Santa's Elves program. Uh, basically, it's a ministry for families who are in lockdown in Guatemala City. And a lot of these families, um, different than us, because their, their system of medical infrastructure is so limited, um, they, the, the percent of people that have passed away over the last year is much higher than it is here in the U.S. and, and here in Kentucky. Um, and so, they decided with so many families that had basically been in lockdown since March, they, they wanted to, to find a way to connect with families that couldn't get out, both families that were wealthy and families that didn't have enough. And so they put a bunch of fun videos together on social media of Santa meeting with, with his elves and talking to them and sending them on a mission to homes in Guatemala City and asking for help with presents. 
So church members went out and they took this Christmassy painted car and uh, they went to families' homes. They did this little show. And so I want you to see a, just a few seconds of what this show looked like as they went to families, uh, wealthy families, and kind of encouraged them through this show. Anyways, uh, if you know that Burrito Sabanero, that's the song that they're singing. Um, kids loved it. Kids came out to their front porches and they danced around. And they had fun. And, and, then, and then Santa's elves said, okay, you know, we've shared this with you. Could you help us help families that don't have enough? Could you, could you help us by donating some presents or some toys or some, some gifts so that we can take them to families that, that don't have as much as they need this Christmas? And so they, they took these gifts, they wrapped them up, and they took them to other families in Guatemala City and, and some who were in La Limonada. In fact, you can see here, uh, the Santa's elves took, uh, took Tita a bunch of gifts and presents to pass out to kids in La Limonada. And so, you know, this year we've, forced, we've been forced to do things differently, to, to become creative in the way that we show love and, and share and encourage others. But I want to encourage you as you're thinking about your New Year's resolutions, uh, don't just make it about a diet or an exercise plan or uh, a financial plan or what you're going to invest this year. Make it about your relationship with God. Make it about your relationship with others. Ask yourself, which spiritual arm am I going to strengthen this year? Which spiritual arm are you going to strengthen this year? Is it going to be your, your relationship with God? Do you need to grow deeper with him and understand more about his blessing and his love and his favor and his mercy? Or do you need to strengthen the arm that reaches out to the world? Is there some people, are there some people around you that need God's love? Um, and maybe, maybe it's both arms. Maybe you need to strengthen both, both spiritual muscles. Uh, we've got some, some runners on our staff at Lemonade, and we, we talk about running. We even had someone recently that ran a marathon and we talked about the preparation that goes into running a marathon. Um, and she was saying that they had to start, start running and preparing 9, 10, 11 months in advance of the marathon to be able to run that. It's, it's a lot of preparation. It run you know, 3 miles and 5 miles and 9 miles up to 13 miles, and you build up to, to that. But as we talked about spiritually, we said it, there's, there's some similarities between running a marathon and, and following Christ, that we have to be in training. We have to be in the Word. We have to be... In prayer, we have to be loving others. It's, there's this train that goes in. The only difference is with a marathon, you have a date on the calendar and you know that day is coming. Spiritually, we don't know what morning we're going to wake up and God's going to ask us to run a marathon. We don't know at what moment God's going to say, this is what I've been training you for. This is what you're prepared for. It's now time to run. And so we should be in training every day. And I, I wanted to say too, if, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if, if you're saying, this, this sounds really cool, but I don't even know where to start, that's, that's where to start. Start with a relationship with Jesus. You, you can't run a spiritual race if you don't even have your running shoes on. So you need to start there. Um, and I'd just like to encourage you, as, as you look at 2021, um, if you want to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus and take those first steps, I know that Tony has been meeting with people and encouraging people to, to take those, those first steps with Journey Church. Um, I also know that there's so Sunday school groups and Bible studies in, in person and, and on Zoom as well. So if you want to come to the church in person, you can. If you want to do it on Zoom, you can do that too. The journey groups are available for people that want to go, go deeper. Uh, maybe you're ready to make it, jump in and make a commitment uh, to be a part of the community here through Move University. There's information about that online. Um, send, send a message. Put a, put a post if you're watching online this morning. Um, send a text. Make a phone call. Send an email. Uh, maybe God's calling you to get involved with Lemonade International to become a sponsor or to support kids in Guatemala. Uh, maybe there's other missions opportunities that God's calling you to make a difference in. And 
Maybe it's outreach here in Woodford County. I know there's a Four Woodford initiative uh, that Journey Church is involved on. There's information on, on that initiative online as well. Um, so I just want to encourage you not to let this moment pass. Before the end of the day today, take a moment to ask God, God, where do you want me to grow and what's my next step? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today that your son Jesus has brought life to our souls. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a light to our path. God, I pray that, that you, the God of hope, would fill us with joy and peace as we trust in you. And that, that hope would overflow through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, use us, bless us, make a difference in our lives, in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.